please turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. And as many people have already told you already this morning, Merry Christmas. It is a, an exciting thing to be able to worship together on Christmas on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is a, a great privilege for me and, and my family to be able to celebrate with you. Uh, my daughter told me two nights ago, she goes, Now, Daddy, uh, I know you're excited about Christmas being on a Sunday. Um, it will happen again in five years. And so she's already, she's a planner, so she knows 2016 we'll be doing this again. So that's kind of, kind of cool to think about as well. John chapter 1, uh, verse 14, if you please stand with me in honor of God this Christmas morning as we read his word together. We're going to begin in verse 1 that we looked at last week and go through verse 14. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You may be seated, and may God enrich our hearts this Christmas morning as we consider the miracle of the incarnation of God being made flesh. Let's pray this morning. And Father, we are very grateful for the special moment that we have here this morning to come together with your community of faith, believers, and to worship you. I pray for those this Christmas morning who may be hurting, for those who may have deep heartaches this morning as they think about things in their life that are going on or things that aren't happening in their life that they would have desired that in Christmas 2011 they would have been taking place. And so we just pray your, your grace and your love on, on those who uh, may be hurting this morning. And we pray for those who are struggling with discouragement or depression, and we pray for our family times together uh, this week and this morning, today. We pray that our hearts would be humble, and that we would serve one another with your gracious love, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Whitney asked me this morning, or maybe it was last night, this, last night or this morning, she asked me, she goes, are, are, you, are you pretty nervous about this morning? And I said, well, well, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm excited to be able to, to worship with my family. And the more I, I thought about it, the more I mentioned this last night as well, um, this, this fellowship, is this community of faith, the Bethany community, is just so dear to my family. And I know the other pastors on staff feel the same way. And I, I was thinking about this this morning on my way here. Is it it's part of the reason that I, I have such a deep love for this church. I'm so excited about being able to worship on a Christmas morning because, our, you know, my extended family, uh, my, my parents, Whitney's parents, our brothers and sisters, they all live 800 miles away. So 
Is there a deeper level of, of love that I have for this church and kind of a greater dependence? I kind of feel like that, you know, like the mother-in-law that manipulates everyone to come to the, their house on Christmas, you know, after my comments last week, everyone needs to be in church. And Am I kind of manipulating everyone because I want to be with you on Christmas? Maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. But I, I believe that uh, at, at Bethany Community, God has just been very gracious. And I, I don't believe this is unique uh, to, to my own heart, just a great love that we have for one another through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, again, this is, this is kind of like my dream come true, being able to spend Christmas with, with each of you. And so I'm, I'm very excited about today. I'm excited about 2016 when we get to do it all over again. So thanks for coming this morning. And I, I trust that your Christmas has been a, a good one so far. Now, now, kids, I asked you this last night, uh, kids and adults, uh, how many of you have already opened at least some presents? Okay, so more than last night. How many of you still have some more presents to open after church? Okay, so you're very dependent upon me. To You're, you're wondering how long is he going to go here on Christmas morning? I've got presents to open. Uh, you know, Christmas is about surprises and excitement. Um, now, let me just make sure. Uh, my son Noah is not in this room, right? If, so, if he's in this room, someone please come up here right now and tackle me before I tell this story. We already had uh, one Christmas mishap. And if you, don't, if you see Noah this morning, and I know his older siblings are in here, don't mention this to him, okay? We already had one Christmas mishap. Uh, two nights ago, we allowed the kids to open their, the, the first Christmas present we always let them open. It's, it's a pair of pajamas, and they all know that it's going to be a pair of pajamas. And so we pass out the gifts, and, and they're like, what's it going to be? They're kind of teasing around, and, and uh, <laughs> Hannah opens hers pajamas. Austin opens his pajamas. Ellie opens hers pajamas. Noah's having trouble opening his. He opens his MP3 player. <laughs> yeah, that's, we, that's not for you to open. You should have seen, like, it was, it was kind of cool. The look on his face whenever he's, you know, pajamas, pajamas, MP3 player. He's like, take that, brothers and sisters. Mom and dad love me the best. And then we took it away. And, and uh, here's your pajamas. Yay. Let me tell him, look. Look, son, you know, every, that happens sometimes. Mommy just got presents mixed up. And, um, and we did a little uh, Christmas, um, not deception, misdirection. And we said, you know, a lot of presents, a lot of people that we're giving presents to this year, and, and uh, you'll open a present in a couple days that you'll like uh, as much as this. Exactly as much. <laughs> At night. I'm walking by the hallway, and I hear these sobs coming from the room. And I, what's the matter, buddy? I wanted that MP3 player. Yeah, but you got pajamas. So, so that's our Christmas mishap uh, this, this year. There's one every year, right? Uh, but surprise, <laughs> surprise, PJs, surprise MP3 player. Christmas is a lot about surprise. And I can remember the, the presents that I got as a, as a young kid. You know, I remember one time opening up uh, the... You know, go into the living room, and there's a, a bike there that's, that's for me. I can remember getting a, a computer game when I was in the sixth grade. Now, this was kind of cool because we had just gotten our first computer, and my dad had told us, that this was in sixth grade, he told us, uh, this computer is for work and school only. There will be no games on this computer. And so to open that 
that package and find that computer game. I was like, yes, I'm so excited. It was a game, maybe some of you have played it before. It's a game where you built cities. It's called Simulation City or Sim, S-I-M City. And it was just a pretty cool game. Uh, one, one year, my grandfather uh, made me a unicycle. And uh, it was just, I couldn't believe he'd made me a unicycle. So there's a lot of Christmas surprises. And in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, I want to read just a verse or two from that. We see that uh, the Christmas story has a, a great element of surprise to it. God had prophesied from the moment of the fall that he would reconcile himself to fallen humanity. He had promised that reconciliation would take place between himself and his creation that had transgressed his law, that had fallen from grace, that had fallen out of relationship with God. And God had promised that he would reconcile himself to humanity, but it was a mystery as to how this reconciliation could take place. How could a holy, just God who who must deal with sin, how could that holy, just God be in a relationship with rebellious humanity? How could God bridge a divide, a chasm so great? And in 1 Peter chapter 1, as we talk about the salvation, as Peter's talking about the salvation that we've obtained, he talks about this mystery of how God could reconcile himself to his fallen creation. He says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, of the Messiah, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This good news, this gospel has been a a mystery that from the beginning of time, as prophets prophesied, about this coming Messiah and how he would reconcile God to humanity, there was a a searching and inquiry that these prophets had, wondering how this this Messiah was going to have this glory and go through this suffering, and angels long to look and understand the salvation, and Peter tells us, now this good news has been announced to us, it's been revealed. And the mystery of how God could be reconciled to humanity that mystery was solved with an even greater mystery. The mystery was answered with an even greater mystery, the mystery of the incarnation. God became man. God became flesh, a human being. And in the person of Jesus Christ, through the miracle of the Incarnation, God becomes reconciled to his humanity. Relationship is reestablished. There are so, so many things we could talk about this morning as we talk about the miracle of the Incarnation, God becoming flesh. 
But there's just kind of one main idea I want you to grasp with me as we think about the incarnation in John chapter 1, verse 14 this morning. And that idea is this. The incarnation means reconciliation. The incarnation means reconciliation. It means God displaying his love for us and allowing us to become in relationship with him again. The incarnation means reconciliation. And and I would imagine there are some of you here this morning who desperately need this message about God's reconciliation through the incarnation. Maybe some of you on Christmas Day 2011 are extremely discouraged. You had your dreams and your goals as to what Christmas 2011 was going to look like. You had these plans for your family and those those plans about how your family was going to look by the end of 2011 haven't taken place. Maybe uh, you had goals to have a family by Christmas 2011, and that hasn't taken place. Or maybe there's some some breach in the relationships in your family. And, And whatever it is, a Christmas can actually be a very depressing time of year. And as you think about 2012, there can be kind of a sense of discouragement as well. Or maybe this morning uh, you're here in church and you're saying, you know what, I'm here, I'm sitting down, but I feel a great distance between myself and God. And a lot of the year I'm able to just kind of block out this distance that exists between me and God, but this morning, for whatever reason, this distance between me and God seems much greater and I'm much more aware of it than I normally am. The incarnation, the miracle of God becoming man, should be a great comfort to you this morning because it reveals that God loves you and desires to have a relationship with you for his glory. The the incarnation means reconciliation, reestablishment of relationship. And I want us to look at John chapter 1, verse 14, and see a couple truths about the incarnation together. Now, before we get to uh, verse 14, let me remind you a little bit of the context we talked about last week. John, the Gospel of John, was written by the Apostle John, and we believe that John lived the longest after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, longer than any of the other disciples. And John, in the decades following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, had the unfortunate, uh, unfortunate experience of seeing many heresies evolve concerning Jesus Christ. He saw people teach wrong things about Christ's deity, and he saw people and heard people teach wrong things about Christ's humanity. And in his writings, the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles toward the end of the New Testament, we see John correcting these wrong understandings of who Jesus was. And as he begins John chapter 1, he wants us to rightly understand Jesus's deity and his humanity. And we looked at verse 1 last week, and we saw the deity of Jesus Christ, really focused on that Jesus, the truth, that the word, Jesus Christ, existed from eternity past. The word, that is Jesus Christ, was in perfect fellowship with God the Father from eternity past. And Jesus Christ, the word, in fact, was God. We talked about the importance of that. 
John will go on through verses 1 through 13 and, and to tell us some more about the Word, Jesus Christ. He'll tell us that the Word was there and was involved in the act of creation. He'll talk about how John the Baptist came to proclaim and witness about Jesus Christ. Then he talks about how Jesus Christ was the true light that came in the world. The world didn't recognize him. And then we come to verse 14. Now remember, if you look at the end of the Gospel of John, you see John's purpose statement. John says that he's written these things so that you and I would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. He desires us to be reconciled to God, and so he's going to tell us two very important things about Jesus Christ in these first few verses of the Gospel of John. He's going to proclaim to us that Jesus Christ is fully God, and he's also going to proclaim to us that he is fully man. And so again, we're looking at the incarnation this morning, this truth that God became a human being, Jesus Christ retained full deity and became fully human. And as we look at the miracle of the incarnation, we see that the incarnation means our reconciliation. So let's look at three truths this Christmas morning together, kind of three presents to open together. The first truth that I want us to think about is this, the word was removed from glory. Let's first look at the word removed from glory. He says here in verse 14, the word became flesh. Now, be very careful here. Notice that when we say the word removed from glory, we're not saying the word's glory was removed. In other words, Jesus Christ didn't cease to be God. Jesus Christ left his place, his status as God the Son in heaven in perfect fellowship and perfect uh, being in the presence of God the Father. And he was removed from glory, removed from heaven, and became, as a human, he was removed from these, this location and became flesh. The idea that, that God could become human was an idea that both the Jew and Greek would have, been, would have found shocking. And we see this description of Jesus Christ becoming flesh in, in Luke chapter 1, and we read this together last night. Let me read it to you again. As the angel describes to Mary, the angel Gabriel describes to Mary this miracle of the incarnation, listen to what he says. He, he appears to Mary in verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. The angel says, to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, and here's the miracle, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. So in your womb, you're, you're going to have this, this baby, this baby boy, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so in your womb, you're going to have this son. And, and Mary is very confused by this. She says, now, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel tells her this. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is going to be God's son, and, and the angel is very kind of mysterious in his description here, and we don't fully understand this miracle, but we understand that this mystery of how God was going to be reconciled to fallen humanity is replaced with a far greater mystery, this mystery of, of God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. And throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and throughout the epistles in the New Testament, we see that, in fact, Jesus Christ was fully human being. We see that just like you and I, he experienced all the, the physical sensations of being a person. 
Jesus Christ got thirsty. He became hungry. Jesus Christ experienced the sorrow of of humanity, of living in a fallen world, and not only did he experience the, the concept of sorrow, which God himself can feel, but he manifested sorrow in a physical way. He, he, he wept. Physical tears came out of his eyes as he experienced being a human being. He got sick. He became ill. He died. He experienced humanity in its fullness. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, says, verse 2, he says, he, he I'm sorry, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 2. He says, he promised us beforehand through his promises in the Holy Scripture. And he says in verse 3, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, according to his humanity, he had a, a real physical lineage, ancestors. Galatians chapter 4 it says, when the fullness of time, this is Galatians 4, 4, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law. In other words, he he was physically born. He experienced the fullness of being a a human being. Jesus Christ was removed from glory and took on flesh. How, How important is this truth? I would suggest to you that it's of vital importance if a person is going to be a believer. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In other words, if a a person fails to confess that Jesus Christ is is a human being, then they fail to understand the gospel, and they can't be a person that's said to have the Spirit of God within them. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Timothy is told, reminded by Paul of this, this great early creed of the church. And Paul says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Christ, Jesus, he was manifested in the flesh. He, he became a human being. He was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Jesus Christ became a human being. Now you say, okay, he, he became a human being. Why is it so important for us to understand that the word was removed from glory? There's many, many reasons, but this morning, let me just give you a few. It was important, it was vital that Jesus Christ become a human being, first of all, to to pay for our sins. Remember, we're talking about this idea of being reconciled to God through Christ's incarnation, Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or satisfaction for the sins of the people. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, Peter writes, Christ also suffered, he suffered as a human being, uh, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death, how? 
in the flesh. As a human being, he had to die in our place so that he could reconcile us to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. I want you to notice one more thing here in verse 14 that carries with it this idea of the word being removed from glory and, and taking on flesh. L- look again at the text, John 1.14. He says, the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means to, to pitch a tent, to set up a tent and, and dwell with people. Uh, whenever I was in sixth grade, I, I was a Boy Scout um, briefly. There was some unpleasantness. Uh, I was a Boy Scout, and, and we went uh, camping together a couple times with, with the other Boy Scouts. And what happened after you kind of set up that, that tent community? You, you, you became kind of closer together, and you, you shared experiences. Uh, there's a well, Kevin Martin's Sunday school class that sometimes goes on, on camping trips. And I remember, uh, I don't remember, maybe two years ago, there was a big uh, rainstorm or something, and the people that experienced that, that monsoon or whatever it was uh, had this shared experience, this shared bad experience, I suppose. But th- there was kind of like they came to church the, the, the next Sunday, and they're, they're talking about what they experienced together. They, they all went through that uh, uh, monsoon together. Now, whenever you dwell in community, there's, there's, certain, there's a certain relationship you have with people. There's a, a relationship that you have with your neighbors that you don't have with people who don't live around you. There's this shared sense of, of community that you have. But there's something important to notice about this word that John uses. You know, whenever you and I talk about camping or setting up a tent, we're talking about this, this temporary relationship, Right? We all live different locations, but we're going to, for some reason, pretend like we don't like running water and things like that and go sleep out together with, on these tents and stuff, okay? But it means something different in John's writing. This word, uh, setting up tent, means to, to dwell permanently with others. It describes this, this permanent relationship of deciding, okay, I'm going to, to leave this one locale and, and, and live with you in, in permanence and in this relationship. In fact, John is the only writer in the New Testament who uses this verb uh, to pitch a tent. Listen to how else he uses it. In the book of Revelation, verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 12, uh, we, we read this, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, who, who, who make your place of abode there, and, and serve him day and night in the temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. There's this, I'm sorry, I went to two different verses there. Uh, you who, heavens who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. There's this idea that those in the heavens have this permanent dwelling there and this permanent relationship. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of, man, of God is with man. He will dwell with them. He will pitch his tent and, and abide among them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. There's this permanence of, of dwelling. And here's the amazing thing about the incarnation. Another part of this, this mystery here is it's not like Jesus Christ says, Okay, uh, God the Father, I've got this thing to do. I got to go save fallen humanity. Oh boy, what a pain! All right, well, I'm going to go do this human thing, and and then after I do this human thing, you and I can do this this uh, God thing again. No, here's what happens. Jesus Christ, who has existed 
since eternity past, becomes a human being to dwell with us, to have relationship with us, and stays that way. He maintains his flesh for the rest of eternity. Why? Why does he do that? Because he loves us and desires to be in relationship with us. God's love for us and for the the manifestation of his glory through his love for us is so great that he takes upon flesh and dwells with us, experiences community with us so that we can be reconciled to God so that he can have a relationship with us. Christmas, Christmas is very hard for many of us, right? Christmas can be a time of of great loneliness as we think about the types of relationships we would desire to have with other people, and as we spend time with people or or don't spend time with other people, we realize, boy, this, this closeness of relationship I would like to have, I don't have. And so Christmas, New Year's can be a time of of great sorrow for many. What's the good news about the incarnation? The good news of the incarnation is that God became flesh because he desires relationship with you. He loves you and wants to, to dwell with you, not just over Christmas dinner, like some of our relatives, he desires to dwell with you, to be in community with you forever. And a type of oneness and and, and intimacy and relationship that you and I can't even begin to comprehend. What's the Christmas application of this first idea that the word was removed from glory? The, The Christmas application is that reconciliation means relationship. The incarnation means reconciliation to God. And what does reconciliation to God mean? First of all, it means relationship. God desires to have a relationship with you and with me. It's hard for us to accept. You and I desire love on our own terms. We desire our relationships look certain ways. And God says, no, look, I'm going to reconcile you to me. You can have this relationship with me through faith in my son, Jesus Christ. And you can dwell with me forever. Okay, look again at verse 14. Here's the second thing, uh, the second kind of Christmas package I want us to unwrap together. The second thing is this, the word retained his glory. So the word was removed from glory, yet at the same time the word retained his glory. Again, look at verse 14. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh. And so some people look at this and say, well, is what John saying is that He used to be God, the Word used to be God, and then he became flesh, he became a human being, and now he's not God anymore. No, that's not what John is saying. Imagine this, or here's an example. Whenever I, uh, before I got married, I was was single, right? When I got married, I, I became a husband, and when I became a husband, I I stopped being something else. There was a a transition. I was no longer single. I was now married. I became married. I became a husband. I couldn't simultaneously be single. I, I transformed. But whenever my first child was born, whenever Hannah was born, I became something, didn't I? I became a dad. Now, 
I'm going to continue as long as I live to, to be a dad, and I've, but I don't stop being what? A husband. It wasn't a transition from one thing and giving up another when I became a dad. It was maintaining my, my husband status and becoming something else in addition to that, and that's a dad. I'm completely a husband. I'm completely a dad. Jesus Christ, whenever he became man, retained his deity. Now, there's a passage in Philippians chapter 2 that I believe is important to think about because people have come to Philippians 2 and said, well, what is, how, does, how does this mystery of the incarnation relate here? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is talking about Jesus Christ becoming a human being, and he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, and some translations say, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You say, well, okay, what does that mean? Whenever he humbled himself, whenever he made himself nothing, does that mean like he took all his, his deity and said, okay, I'm just going to put this on the shelf for now, I'll see you later, now I'm going to become a human being? No. No, what it's referring to instead is he gave up his, his status, his, his privilege as God. You say, yeah, but when he became human, in his human nature, he had to learn things. Are you saying that even as he, he learned things, he still knew all things as God? Yes. You say, well, are, are you saying that even though he at times slept, he was still maintaining his control over the universe? Yes. In fact, listen to what the writer of Colossians would say. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Jesus is the image, image of the invisible God. So as he became visible, as he became this image, he was still the, the image of the invisible God. He by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And now in verse 17 it says, and, in, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so even as he's been made in the flesh, he's still God infinite, holding all things together. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Everything that God the Father is, God the Son is. And he upholds, listen to this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what does that mean? That means whenever Jesus Christ in his humanity was asleep on the boat, he was still upholding the universe by the power of his word. You say, Daniel, how do you explain that? And I say, I can't. I, I can't. That's what I said earlier. The mystery of how you and I would be reconciled to God, in my mind, was replaced with a far greater mystery. The mystery of the incarnation, of God being made flesh. Earlier this morning, I was, I was listening to the, the worship team, hearing them talk about how 
different people are going to play different parts and the tempo and, and all those things. And I'm reminded how little I understand the, the mystery of music. It, it amazes me that the people can, can think up how things are going to sound and write them down and this, this thing can come together. In fact, uh, earlier this week I was uh, rereading an, an old friend, I was rereading uh, Pride and Prejudice, and there's this great line in uh, the novel Pride and, and Prejudice that um, I don't have, oh here it is, good. There's this, uh, this character called Lady Catherine, and Lady Catherine is, is talking about music, and she's a very arrogant person, and uh, she says this about music. She says, oh, you're speaking of music, then pray, speak louder. It is of all subjects my delight. I, I must have my share in the conversation if you're speaking of music. There are few people in England, I suppose, who have more true enjoyment of music than myself, or a better natural taste. If I had ever learned music, I should have been a great proficient. <laughs> she had no clue anything about music, but she assumed that she understood a lot. That's a little bit how it is with Christ sometimes. We know what God has revealed to us, and yet there are mysteries that are so profound as we think about the miracle of the incarnation. Sometimes the best thing for us to do is this. Say nothing except respond in worship. The word when he became flesh, retained his glory. What's the Christmas application for us as we think about reconciliation? I believe it's humility. I believe it's this, what we saw in Philippians chapter 2. As we think about this deity, God the Son becoming humanity, what's Paul's point? His point is, look, if this is the attitude that Christ had, you must have this mind among yourselves. Now, how does that relate to us at Christmas? God, through the miracle of the incarnation, has sought to reconcile you to himself, one of infinite glory and majesty. Have some humility this Christmas. Serve others. As you think about the needs and the desires of those around you today and this week, have some Christmas humility. How can I serve those around me the way Christ has served me through the miracle of the incarnation? The word was removed from glory. The word retained his glory at the same time. And the last thing I want us to think about is, is this this morning. We'll just look at it very quickly. The word revealed his glory. The word revealed his glory. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son of God, even in his humanity, displayed his glory. From eternity past, this God has existed as God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And as, he as God the Son becomes human, he retains his glory, and he reveals his glory, and he reveals this, this glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Pastor Art from Living Hope, and, and Pastor Rich and I, uh, Pastor Rich from Bethany Baptist and I, were all talking about this passage, and Pastor Art said, well, here's an illustration I, I like to use, and he talked about a, a farmer who uh, went out to his barn and, and saw a bird trapped inside of his barn, and 
the farmer said, boy, if, if only I could become a bird and, and, and show that bird the way out of the barn. And Art told uh, Rich and I that he told this story at his church, and he said it, it didn't go over very well. Uh, he said there was a farmer in attendance who came up to him afterwards and said, you know what I would do if I found a bird trapped in my barn? I'd ask, where's the cat? Okay. We don't have a natural love for things that are below us, right? But God did have a desire to be in relationship with you and I as, as human beings, as, as finite beings. God, who has existed from eternity past, who never existed in a moment of time, decides to become a human being and experience time in a, in a finite state. God, God the Son, who consumes every molecule of the universe, who, who finds himself in every nook and cranny of our vast expanse of space, every nebula, every black hole, every bit of dark matter, that the presence of God is, is there in our entire expanding universe. It, the, the glory of God consumes it. it. He's infinite and goes beyond the, the boundaries of our universe. And yet that God who exists in infinity confined himself to a finite locale, a, a physical location as he became flesh. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus Christ become flesh? He became flesh through the miracle of the incarnation for the purpose of reconciliation. Christmas is about God's desire through the miracle of the incarnation to be in relationship with us. Today, my encouragement to you is not to get lost in the busyness of the moment, but to take some time, either with your family or with you as an individual, and just spend some time worshiping God, reveling in the fact that he has revealed his glory through this miracle of the incarnation that allows you to be in relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the great love that you have for us that's displayed in this miracle of the incarnation. And it's a, a love that's existed from eternity past. It's a love that reveals your glory. We pray that you would help us to worship you today in grace and truth. And we pray this in your son, Jesus' precious name. Amen.